Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, by a word from you, all things were created from nothing. And we know in John 1 that the word was God, the word was with God, and nothing was created without the word. And so we thank you that we can identify Jesus Christ as the word from you. And, and so we know that this morning, that if, if you speak to us by your word, uh, that you can change any, circum, any circumstance, any situation. You can change our hearts. You can change our lives. And so would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see? Would you help us to hear your word this morning, to hear from you and to respond appropriately, however you would have us? That we may exalt you, that our life would glorify you, uh, that we may um, repent of any wrong philosophies or anti-biblical notions that might crop up in our life as you identify them by your Spirit. We always pray that you would sanctify us by your Spirit, and we do so even more today as we respond to your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you have a listening guide. It's filled with Scripture. Uh, the most difficult part was maybe finding a, a passage in Proverbs that sort of encapsulates everything that, uh, that we want to say here this morning. But I think I found one in Proverbs chapter 24. So if you have a Bible, turn to Proverbs chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a paper Bible um, in a chair underneath, uh, underneath one of the chairs. Of course, you probably have an app on your phone. You can definitely use that. Uh, but, but turn to Proverbs chapter 24. Just to set this up uh, contextually, um, Proverbs 22, there's a small section beginning in uh, chapter 17 called Words of the Wise. And it sets it up for a couple of chapters. And, and in verse 20, he says, Have I not written for you 30 sayings of counsel and knowledge? This is a separate section of Proverbs written by a different author and um, adapted into um, the, uh, the Israelite nation, uh, into the nation of Israel by Solomon. Maybe he sponsored it, but, but there are 30 sayings from uh, 30 distinct topics in chapter 22, verse 17, all the way through chapter 24. And so these 30 sayings, these 30 topics uh, are profitable, but I wanted you to have some understanding of the context. Because saying number 12 begins with this idea of a godly home. So in Proverbs chapter 24, saying number 12 is this, by wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. I don't know how many of you have, have built a house, have actually built, constructed a house. Just raise your hand if you've built a house. All right, a lot of you have built houses. Uh, building a house, of course, it requires intentionality. <laughs> Very few of you probably just said, ah, I think I'll just do, that. you know, and just sort of worked your way through it as you went. Uh, you probably had some sort of a, a plan, maybe you even had to submit that to a local, um, you know, government or something. Uh, it had to be approved. There had to be code issues. There, you had to um, arrange materials. You probably had to get some sort of a loan. Um, in every way, building a house requires intentionality, planning, financing, scheduling, hiring the right contractors and subcontractors. It's really a big endeavor. 
um, and, and, and not many people will, will try it. But we see in Proverbs that there's something different in building a house uh, and, and building a godly home. Building a, a home is altogether different. Once your house is built, the job is mostly done, but building a godly home requires day in, day out work. And it uses an interesting phrase. It says that uh, the rooms are filled with precious and pleasant riches. I think the NIV translates that as rare and beautiful treasures. What is it that you treasure? What is it that you want your home to be filled with? Memories and mementos, I think, build the kind of rare and precious treasures that Solomon might be getting to. At the end of every life, I, I think I've done, I don't know, over 50 funerals in my lifetime. I've uh, been through uh, bedside routines and hospice care with many people. And I can tell you that not one, not a single person wished they had more stuff as they were dying. Not a single one. Most of them lament that they didn't spend more time with the people that they loved. Building a godly home includes those rare and beautiful treasures. This past week, I was interacting with some of the kids after VBS, and uh, I don't know how we got onto it, but uh, my rock tumbler thing came up in one of the meetings. And so I sent two kids, go up into the attic, and you'll see the rock tumbler up there. And they came down, and they got them down. And um, I, all these kids gathered in a big group, and I started passing out these stones and then I read to him in Revelation chapter 2 that when we get to heaven, God will give us a stone with our name written on it that only we know. And I connected it to them and, and to that. And, and then they said, well, we can't take your stones. I said, listen, I have these things everywhere. Every room in my house, um, every office, I went up and grabbed stone. I said, this one was from a mission trip in Newfoundland. It's my favorite stone. And, and when I see it, I'm reminded to pray for three church plants that we started in St. John's and, and, uh, and along the Aberdeen uh, loop uh, there in the, the south part of Newfoundland. Each one of these things, and Julie and I made a habit of this early, is uh, we, we put our kids, you probably did this too, footprints on soft concrete, and one of them has stones inside of it. We do these stones of remembrance, these things that remind us of what's important in life. And I think that this is part of the rare and beautiful treasures that God gives us. This is part of godly parenting, is collecting and building into a godly home rare and beautiful treasures. And I'm not talking about things that necessarily have monetary value. Something quite different altogether. So what makes up the building blocks, the material of building a godly home? What's the curriculum? What are the topics that we should be covering? Um... We have a biblical mandate to teach and to train and to educate our children. You can see in your listening guide there, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. We call this the Shema. But in Deuteronomy chapter 6, is Shema just means hear in Hebrew, and that's the first word of this passage. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So we are to be talking about and teaching our children. You have in your listening guide there Psalm 80, uh, 78 verses 1 through 8 that talks about speaking to the next generation, teaching children. We also uh, remember in, um, in Ephesians 6, 4, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So there is a, the Bible alludes to curriculum, things that we should be instilling in our children. We should regularly say things like, the world says this, but the biblical view is this. This is what's taught by our culture, but God's Word says this. And let me explain it to you. Here's why the Word of God makes sense. This is why it's endured for thousands of years, and, and why this doesn't make sense to the world, but why it makes perfect sense to those of us who have been redeemed. The Bible has a lot to say about that curriculum. But what does Proverbs teach us? Because that's the series. We're in the series of Proverbs. And so what does Proverbs teach us to tell, tell us to teach our kids? Let me just say one other thing before we get into that. Because some of you are deciding whether or not to listen. <laughs> I don't have kids. I'm just a student, right? Or I've already passed that age of uh, child uh, rearing and bringing up and parenting. Or maybe I'm not married yet, or maybe I don't have kids. Or, or maybe you're a single parent and you're from a broken home or a divorced family. Or, or maybe um, you're doing this and you feel already um, outmatched and outgunned because maybe your home doesn't look like other people's homes. Let me just make this statement first of all. There is beautiful gospel provision within the body of Christ for those families who feel like they're lacking. I just get a little bit um, emotional when I talk about this because when I was saved, uh, I was saved from a broken family, a mom who worked two jobs, of five brothers and sisters, a dad who had left us, and for a period of time, um, stopped paying all child support until we got evicted from our house. And the notice came on the door, you know, you got to move out by the end of the day, and so... Um, as this, uh, going into my senior year of high school, I, you know, my mom was stressed with a lot of stuff, so I, I quickly sort of bagged everything up and made arrangements to get things moved, uh, obviously with her help and my little brother's help. And I threw all my possessions and my little brothers into the back of the Suzuki Samurai, and we drove to try to just find my dad, just try to find out where he lived and see if we could spend the night on his floor or something. And when we got there, uh, we found just rooms full of expensive equipment and bicycles and a, a, a nice classic car in his driveway, but no phone. And so it became a difficult period of time for me. Living there was unbearable for a week or so, and, and I just couldn't do it. So I, I actually um, had a, maybe a few weeks of, of just basic homelessness going into my senior year. The first three weeks of my senior year of high school, I slept in an office uh, break room couch and showered in the back of this facility. And, um, and it was during that time that God connected me to a local body of believers, a local church. And when they, when they found out some of the needs that I had, 
they began to take care of me in a way that the body of Christ only God can do. They began to lavish me with all the provisions that I need. I found a place to stay and clothes. And my third week of my senior year of high school, I had a probably the best friend of my life move me into his bedroom. And, and Jay Windorf and I uh, remain close friends today. He's the best man at my wedding. Texted me a week ago and just encouraged me in the Lord. All that happened because there are beautiful gospel provisions within the body of Christ. So if your family is incomplete in some way, maybe you have an unbelieving spouse, maybe you have a a husband or a wife who uh, doesn't agree with Scripture or doesn't agree with the Bible, or maybe there's a divorce, or maybe there's, maybe there's not a, someone around, or maybe there's some incompletion in your family, and this feels overwhelming. How am I supposed to parent according to Proverbs with the, the issues that I have? Every person within this body of Christ has an obligation to spiritually mentor and foster and parent and, and help fill in those gaps just in the same way that Jim Lang and Pete Johnson and, and Keith and Virginia Windorf and all these great godly men and women stepped into the gap in a period of time that in no way denigrated my mom's role and, and really cherished her and valued her to the degree that six months later she gave her life to Christ. And, and it just became a beautiful gospel picture, but how God plugs the holes through the body of Christ. Listen, this is not a scripted part, but you miss out when you miss gospel community. And people miss out when you're gone. You're an answer to prayer for somebody, just like we talked about earlier. Somebody here needs you. And when you, when you just miss, and I'm not talking about Sunday missing occasionally. I mean missing out on relational connection within the body of Christ. You shortchange yourself and the body of Christ in an area that God might want to just use you in a huge way. So I would just say that before you think, well, this doesn't apply to me. I'm not a parent or I'm a grandparent or I'm a student. That's a long introduction. Um, so what do we teach our kids? And what do we teach those in our congregation as God uses us toward the next generation? You know, generally speaking, not just in Proverbs, but throughout the Bible, we see an obligation to pass on to our children a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview gives children the proper God-honoring alternative lens through which to see the world. Now, I say alternative lens, and you might have instantly said alternative. What are you talking about alternative? I just mean alternative in that it's a strange worldview to the world. And the worldview that the world presents is sinful and godless, and it dominates the culture. It's corrupt, and they're extremely aggressive. Every TV show, every movie, every commercial, every song that penetrates into your house is communicating a worldview that is anti-biblical and, and in many ways, godless. And so it's our role as the church, as Christian mothers and fathers, 
to, to teach our children in such a way that we say, this world might say this, but, but this is what Scripture says. You ask my kids, anytime they look at me or they'll roll their eyes, anytime they see someone say, follow your heart, right? You turn on the TV and they'll say, I just follow your heart and, and you know, be the boss of your life. And they'll, they'll look over at me and they'll say, you know, something from Jeremiah, the heart is wickedly deceitful and sinful. And, and they know these sort of messages that we communicate. That now the world says, follow your heart, but the, the Scripture says your heart is deceitful and wicked and, and who can trust your own heart, but for the grace of God and his redeemed spirit that he places in our hearts. So we, parents, our role is to constantly combat the message of the culture with a biblical worldview. And I've listed a few ways that we do that in terms of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, helping our children understand, you know, right from Genesis 1, you have a spirit hovering over the water. You have the Creator, Father, God Almighty, speaking the Word. And John 1 illustrates that the Word is Christ. And so we have, uh, let us make man in our image. So we have this Trinitarian view of um, uh, three gods in one, and so we have to help our kids sort of make sense of that, and creation, uh, understanding that a biblical worldview understands that there's a creator who stands in complete opposition to sort of random evolutionary big bang kind of things that says that the world is um, created from nothing and just moved itself into art and order and uh, creativity and design all through random processes. It's our role to help shape our children in such a way that they can make sense of the world through a biblical worldview, the only worldview that makes sense. We teach them about covenant and the relational way that God chooses to interact with the redeemed. We teach them about worship, that all people worship, not just Christians, but everyone ascribes value and worth and adoration. Everybody spends time and money and effort and energy pursuing that which their heart desires, and, and the Bible rightly labels that as worship. And so we, we're able to teach our kids, hey, worship happens when you do this, but we, um, we place our worship Godward and heavenward, and we, we worship God the Father Almighty, and we exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. We talk about sin, that all have sinned. I recently interacted with some um, friends on social media and uh, uh, you know, they, they affirmed, they said, we believe that all people are inherently good. And just in, the, in response to that, you know, Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that sin is a, a, a natural part of every person's existence, that we're not naturally good people who make mistakes sometimes. We call this total depravity, that we are incapable of doing anything through our unredeemed, unregenerate heart that is sufficiently good to warrant salvation. We teach about redemption. We teach about sincere faith. All those things make up the broader category of things that we should be instilling in our children. But what does Proverbs say about teaching our children? Last week, I asked Matt Freed, uh, I said, hey man, I'm, I'm trying to um, dig into this state of Pennsylvania core curriculum. It's like a thousand page PDF of all the things they want to teach. And I said, I can't make sense of it. Maybe one day after VBS, you can help me make sense of all the things, all the topics, um, family, society, consumerism, um, you know, in addition to the, the math and, and uh, science and technology and all those kinds of things. Help me make sense of all this curriculum. And, um, and as we were trying to wade through that, 
I thought, well, what is, the, what is the core curriculum for parents for building a godly home, according to Proverbs? It's not complete, but what you have before you demonstrates some of the core curriculum from Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 1, we have these character issues. Parents should be talking about character with their children. Look at chapter 1, verses 8 through 19. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives, And such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. This is an example of a father instructing a son. And and you'll see in Proverbs also a mother to a son or a mother to a daughter. This is a family part of the core curriculum of character building. Proverbs 22.1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. These are character issues. Character being who you are when no one is watching. Character being what you do in private, what you do when uh, no one is watching, and and how you behave at the, the heart of who you are. Proverbs instructs parents to build character. We must identify and name and point out character qualities that reflect a good God. And we must value the qualities that God values. We often do this in athletics, encouraging competition and sportsmanship and these things. We need to do this in parenting beyond athletics. That's pride. And Proverbs says, of the seven things that God hates, pride and arrogance are at the top of the list. And, and so we need to identify for our kids, that's, that's pride in your heart right there. Or we need to say, that's humility. I see that you, when I wasn't, you didn't know I was watching you, but I saw you pick something up, or I saw you, do, I saw you serve somebody, and I want you to know that's humility. And we affirm godly qualities, and we name all these other character issues so that we can help our kids be formed in godliness. Or that's laziness. This is how you're to be productive and diligent. That's greediness, but this is generosity. Righteousness versus wickedness and foolishness. Generosity as opposed to greediness. Honesty as opposed to being deceitful. Avoiding temptation in the wrong group of friends. Proverbs has a lot to say about character building and how parents are to instill in their children the ability to identify and repent of character issues. But a second topic is, in Proverbs that make up our curriculum is that of self-control. 
And Proverbs will point to self-control, particularly using sex, alcohol, or anger, and other issues. So parents, we need to help our kids identify the need for self-control. Pat preached on this uh, at the beginning of the summer to start our Proverbs series. Proverbs 21.17, whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Proverbs 6, 27 through 28, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Proverbs 5, 15 through 16, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad and streams of water in the streets? All of these things point out the biblical reality that God has given us good and holy and God-ordained appetites that are meant to be within a certain boundary. Food, um, our temperament or or anger outbursts, um, sexuality, uh, the way in which we approach different um, drugs and things like that. All those things, Proverbs will teach boundaries, healthy boundaries in a God-ordained way. I recently had a tree cut down, and while Mark and um, Larry preached for me, I was able to take five or six days off, and this company came and cut the tree down, uh, but they didn't take it away, um, because I got the discount version of the tree coming down, so for like five days or so, we were all picking up sticks and big rounds and all these things. Do not start a fire pit at your house without coming to my house first, right? I have massive piles of wood that must be distributed, right? This is my contribution to uh, the body of Christ in our area. If you have a fire pit plan, I want you to see me first, right? Um, But fire in a fire pit or fire in a fireplace, enjoyable, good, healthy, very, very good, right? Right? Uh, water channeled in its proper place in a hose or, or through a spigot. Um, very healthy, very useful, but water and fire are the destructive forces. You probably saw the news this week in Kentucky. Uh, when, when water goes outside of its boundaries, the destruction that it causes. Talk to your kids about self-control because the natural appetites for food and for pleasure have a very narrow channel, and if it spills out over that without self-control, Proverbs says a a city without walls is like a person without self-control. It's just chaos without boundaries. God created these things in a good way, and you should affirm that. Listen, God created sex, and the church in previous generations has been too silent on this issue And because of our silence, where do you think children learn about sex? From the internet. And you don't want the internet teaching your kids about sex. They they learn about it from friends. That's not where you want it to happen either. They learn about it uh, from school or or from um, their friends. Or they're just going to seek out answers based on their own curiosity. But as, as Christian parents, it's our role to instruct them well, anatomically correct language, 
that is very clear and helpful to help them make sense of the conflicting message that they see on TV and programs and all those things between what the Bible presents. And the Bible presents a good God creator who made sex as a wonderful gift to people within the confines of biblical marriage. And you have to teach this to your children. And my advice to you is open the lines of communication early. Scripture is the best place for this. I, I know of a man who for uh, three years with his six-year-old son uh, started reading through Genesis every year. And as things come up in Genesis, questions might be asked. But it wasn't until the third year of this routine that that child started to notice things that he didn't notice before as a 10-year-old that he, he didn't notice before in those readings. And that it, it became a natural occasion for what does this mean? And what does that mean? And, and what is this talking about? And why did he do that? And, and what does it mean? Those things come up naturally in Scripture. And if you're regularly reading Scripture with your kids in a gender-appropriate way, you can help formulate a godly biblical worldview of sexuality that gives them a baseline Another part of our curriculum that Proverbs tells us is that children need to respond to correction and discipline. They have to respond to correction and discipline. Listen, this is the entire sermon next week. The entire sermon. Proverbs speaks about this issue almost more than any other when it comes to parents and disciplining their children. So I don't want to take away from next week's sermon, but let's just read a few of these texts today. Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. That's Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. I think it's on your listening guide as well. Um, but you see this all over Scripture. In Hebrews, uh, what, father, what, what father doesn't discipline a son? And in this way, we've learned the love of a father is through the discipline and correction of a son. And we're going to get into this next week about how to discipline, how not to discipline in anger, how to discipline in a redemptive, instructional, correcting way, and not in a way that just is a person flying off the handle and screaming and, and, and negotiating or bargaining or counting down or any of these sort of techniques. We want to learn how to discipline in the godliest way possible. That's next week's sermon. You see some of these other texts about discipline. That needs to be part of our core curriculum that we instruct our, parent, our, our children. Finances. Mark preached on finances two weeks ago. I'll touch on it a little bit more in a few weeks. Uh, work, productivity, and contribution. That's going to be two weeks from today about how God has ordained work. Why did He put Adam and Eve in the garden? He, he gave them instructions to subdue the earth, to fill the earth and to subdue it. It's a beautiful thing about the Creator. is It's kind of a wild, unruled place that He placed us in. And how huge is the earth? And he, he put two people there and said, fill it and conquer it. Under my authority, I give you authority over the earth to fill it and subdue it. And so God, God gave them this wild, overgrown place and said, now conquer it, tame it. It's a beautiful picture of who our God is. And so biblically speaking, as Christ followers, work, productivity, your contribution um, to the world is right in line with the creation mandate and how we're supposed to operate in the world as salt 
and light. So we'll talk about that in two weeks. And then last week, Larry talked about words. Proverbs has just as much to say about how to use words uh, as anything else. Listen, this isn't comprehensive, but if you're looking for curriculum on how to train your children, if God has blessed you to be parents, and if, if you're in the congregation, you can contribute to the same message, reinforcing it. Sometimes, you know, so listen, don't tell my kids, but sometimes the kids get to a certain age where they don't necessarily want to hear it from their dad. And so I'll go whisper to the Swartleys, hey, if you could just tell my kid this, sometimes they'll hear it better from the Swartleys than they will from me. And they'll come up, hey, listen to what Caleb said to, said to me. This morning. It's just a great verse and a great, oh, really? That's awesome, man. That's, that's very cool. Um, this is how we're to work sort of with each other in the congregation is affirming and teaching the same things from the same scripture toward the same end. So let me close with this. You think this is a helpful curriculum? Uh, I'm glad to have this. One of my professors uh, in, in uh, Bible school, uh, my favorite professors of all time, Dr. Danny Hayes, he teaches Old Testament. He's written a lot of really great textbooks on the Old Testament, Old Testament survey. Uh, he was a missionary overseas, and, and I asked him my freshman year of high, uh, college, hey, could you just disciple me and five or six of my friends? And so every Tuesday night, we would go to Danny Hayes' house, and, and he would just teach us the scripture, and it was it was like drinking from a fire hydrant. This guy just wisdom and scripture just poured out of him. And uh, college kids or seniors, kids going into college, the greatest thing you can do going forward, find somebody to disciple you the minute you get to college. I mean, the minute you get there, find a great godly church that preaches the word and that honors Jesus and go find somebody who's going to teach you the Bible in a one-to-one, one-to-three, one-to-five setting. This was me. This was Dan Hayes for me. I remember this one time he told us this story. He's writing his dissertation to get his doctorate, and he had to compile all of his material and all the books and everything. And so he got all of his stacked books, and he was going to make his bibliography for you know his doctorate. And um, he said, all of a sudden, I looked around and I realized I didn't have my Bible. <laughs> I didn't have it. It wasn't anywhere. It wasn't in my bag. It wasn't on the table. It wasn't anywhere. And he said, uh oh, I'm sure there's some sort of a message here that um, you know we can we can have everything compiled and everything right, and if we miss one thing, uh, then we lose it all. So let me tell you, this is helpful curriculum, but don't miss the big E on the I chart, right? If you ever had to get your, your vision checked, and they flash the thing, and they say, read the, the first line, and, and oftentimes we can just skip the big E, you know, right? the big E on the I chart. Curriculum without the cross is missing the big E on the I chart, you could teach this curriculum perfectly, and you can end up with perfectly moral kids. Self-righteous, moral contributors to society who don't know or love Jesus. Curriculum without the cross is useless. Listen, three weeks ago I preached on the number one thing for parenting. For some reason, that sermon is lost in internet world. I don't know why I didn't upload and why it's gone, but I have the notes and I'll re-record it as best I can. But it was all about this. Proverbs 1, 7, uh, fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if you don't instill in your kids, a model for them a sincere faith with gospel clarity, 
You've missed the big E on the I chart. And this curriculum is useless. But if the beautiful thing is if you get the gospel right, you can mess all the rest of that curriculum up in some way. And if they get Jesus and they've seen it modeled, now notice I'm being very careful with my words. I'm not saying that your kids have to be saved by the time they get out. That's up to God and them and their response to the gospel alone. A parent can't save a child. But you can model sincere faith. And you can model a sincere worship. You can, you can do all this in such a way that the gospel is very clear to them. And that's your mandate. That's curriculum with the cross. And if you miss that, then you're going to teach moralism. And you're going to teach an, outwardly, an outward behavior that every Pharisee had nailed down. To the point that Jesus' greatest enemies were not rebels, but they were the self-righteous, right? Jesus' greatest enemies and the ones that he had the harshest words for, just read Matthew 23 with the Pharisees, the most religious, moral, presenting people of their day. Listen, you would have wanted your daughter to marry a Pharisee if you were of that time. They looked excellent. Jesus said, you are like whitewashed tombs. Because they had moralism without the gospel. They contributed to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Do not take this curriculum without the cross. Fear the Lord first. That's the beginning of wisdom. And that's where we start. And that's the primary part of our curriculum. Join me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that amidst a culture and even within a church, you could have a a hundred different rival parenting philosophies. Parents who parent according to fads and uh, new ways of doing things. It can feel like the Wild West at times when it comes to parenting. But we thank you that you did not leave us without a book. That we have a reliable guide to faith and to godliness that exalts Jesus and that brings everything into perfect clarity. We thank you that you have not left us useless and groping around for answers. We thank you for the clarity of your word. And we pray that that we would not just hear it, but that we would hear it and put it into practice by the power of your Holy Spirit. That we may be pleasing to you in the way in which We pass on your wonderful works to the next generation. Your word tells us in Psalm 78, we will not hide the great works from our children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord, of the might and the wonders which he has done. We thank you that the next generation should know you. And should know your redemptive work and your activity among people. We pray that we would model and teach that clearly in the homes that you have given us. Give us grace. Forgive us when we we fail. Help us to struggle with all the energy that you provide. That we may present and shoot out into the world children who understand a biblical worldview and understand the gospel of grace. And may it be so for us from this congregation in Jesus' name. Amen.